0: Uh, they said, uh, I, they, I guess, uh, earlier in the week they said, watch out for something special, and that was the special thing. Thanks so much for my, uh, entrance music. Oh, I, want some I told them, I told them in the first service I felt like I was a baseball player walking up to bat, you know, you know, like when they put on the music right there. Yeah. Hey, uh, so great to be here this morning with you. Uh, my name is Will Hopkins, I'm the youth pastor here at Hope, um, uh, and, uh, uh, uh me and my family have been here for almost uh, three years, and I'm so excited to be here. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, we get we get the blessing and honor to spend time with the junior high and high school students here at Hope. Um, uh, we get to work together with with them. We get to work together with parents, and oh, I, I get the opportunity to provide resources for families. Uh, for us to to come together and to grow up the next generation of the church. And so that's an honor and a blessing, and it's an honor and a blessing to be in front of you today. And so uh, my passion for youth ministry started way back right after high school. I just graduated, and I was looking for something to do for the summer, and God intervened, and somehow he connected me uh, with a summer camp called Camp Luther Haven in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, it It was built up. On this lake, up on a hill, down here's the Lake Coeur If you've ever been there, it's a beautiful, gorgeous location. Uh, They hired me to be one out of the 60 counselors and staff to be there that summer. And uh, and it was amazing. I I would go up there. This is one of the pictures I brought. This is what I get to see in the morning. Isn't that that beautiful? Uh, It's a gorgeous lake. Um, So the way the camp was set up was this. Parents would drop off their child... For you know, for the week, ages like six to eighteen, uh, separated by grade and gender, uh, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, junior high, high school, and us counselors would take that group and that grade for the week, uh, usually about six to ten campers, and we would be a cabin group together. We would we would go to all the main activities together. We would worship together. We do archery together. We would do these high ropes and low rope courses. Uh, we'd eat meals together, do small group Bible lessons together, uh, really became like a family for that week. It was, it was an incredible job. It was the best job ever. Well, not just the best job, but it was pretty awesome. It was pretty amazing. Uh, and uh, I remember sitting with my, my friends, my, counsel, my counselor friends, and we'd like tally up how much we were making because we got a paycheck at the end of the, the summer. And we're like, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because you're just always on, and it came out to like 21 cents an hour. We <laughs> were making bank. Uh, rolling in the money, right? No, you know, I, I would have I worked for free, but I didn't tell them that, right? Because it was kind of nice to have the paycheck. Um, I also liked that after lunch, the whole camp would go down to the lake because it was hot out and Luther Haywood was built on a hill. So you'd walk down the hill and they built this dock out into the lake. And so I brought some pictures on that. So you can kind of see it. It's not a great picture, but you can kind of see the dock built out into the lake. And uh, they had canoeing and sailing and a diving board. And since it was on a hill, it got deep really fast. And so by the end of the dock, you can't really see that, but by the end of the dock, it was about 30 feet down to the bottom of the lake. And I remember one day after, uh, you know, one one day in the summer, kind of the beginning of the summer, I was walking my cabin group. I think they were third and fourth graders. I look over to one of the kids and I go, Hey, just so you know, when we get to the bottom of the lake, uh, you know the diving board? They're like, Yeah, I can jump off of that and I can swim all the way down and touch the bottom of the lake. I'm like, No, you can't. I'm like, yeah, I can. They're like, No, Will, it's like 30 feet deep down there. Like, no one can do that. I'm like, Well, I can. They're like, No, you can't. I'm like, I can. And they're like, Well, prove it. So, like, OK, what do you want me to do? They said, well, when you're down there, grab some rocks. Okay. So we get down there, and I'm standing there, here's my cabin group of kids. and You guys ready for this? Yeah, you're right. Okay, great. So I go, and I do this amazing swan dive. I come choo, shooting into the lake, and I go down. And Luther Haven, is, Lake Coeur is built on Lake Coeur and it, it, it's And it, back in the day, they used to do a lot of mining up there. There's a lot of sediment in the lake, and I knew this. You couldn't see all the way down. Right? You can only see a few feet down. So, so I go down about five to six feet, and I just kind of wait there. Right? And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm about out of breath, and I reach in my pocket, and I grab the rocks that I put in my pocket well before I started this conversation. Right, And I wait, and I come shooting out of the water like Superman. my kids are like, oh my gosh! Did you just see that? Me swim all the way down. Like, I'm high-fiving kids, and I'm like, everybody's, whoa, that's cool. Well, the cool thing about this is you get a new set of campers every week. (laughs) Every week we got a new set of campers. So uh, everyone knew at one point during the week, Will's going to do his thing, right? Everyone knew. Counselors knew. Lifeguards knew. So we were walking down. Toward the end of the summer, I'm walking down with a different cabin group. Same thing. Hey, I can go down. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Okay, prove it. I get down there, and by this time, everyone stops. Like, lifeguards, counselors, everyone stops. They're like, Will's doing his thing, you know, there's a big old crowd, and I'm like, okay, ready? They're like, yeah. So I go, I've been practicing this all summer long. I do this amazing swan dive. I'm going down, I'm going down, I'm going down, and bam! Out of nowhere, like, it felt like something had just smacked me upside the head. And I remember kind of like, like, seeing bubbles, and and then I'm realizing I'm, like, six feet underneath the water. Have you ever, like, sat on the bottom of a pool and looked up? Have you ever done that? You see the top of the water? I can remember going, this is not a good situation. And I remember being, like, in incredible pain. Like, I have no idea where it came from. It just started. And so... I remember going, okay, I got to get out of here. So, like, I remember, like, doing everything I can to get to the top of the water, and I didn't come shooting out like Superman. I just kind of floated up to the top, right? And when I got to the top of the water, it just felt like everything was spinning. Just felt like everything was just kind of, the world was just spinning around me, and I had this intense pain. And you can only imagine, everyone else is like, any moment. Will's gonna show us the rocks. Like everyone, even the lifeguards, were just like, almost, it's almost there. And I had this realization, like, no one knows I'm in danger here. Like, this is not a good situation. Like, something's going like, no one knows, like, this is bad. And I look over and I see the dock, and I don't even really know how I got over. I just every, it took everything in me, and I just remember just going as as fast as I can, and I, and I grab onto the dock, and I just hold on, and I pull myself out of the water, and by this time, everyone's like, okay, this is, this is not normal, like, they get it, and so, like, and the lifeguard comes down, and he's a younger, he was younger than I was at the time, he goes, hey, man, you okay? I'm like, no, I'm not okay. He's like, yeah, you should go to the nurse she's up on top of the hill. <laughs> He let me go by myself. This is how young he was. I'm like, okay. So I'm like tripping over myself, like stumbling up the hill. I have no idea. Like I'm just, I get to the nurse. She goes, we need to go to the the hospital. Let's go see a doctor. Get to the doctor. The doctor goes, okay, well, here's what happened. You went too deep, too fast, and your eardrum had burst underneath the water. And then he told me you can't go swimming the rest of the summer because you're gonna have to heal. Like so, that was that was over. Everything. So I couldn't go swimming, and eventually my eardrum did heal. But I remember, I remember this. I remember sitting. uh, I remember getting to this point. Right, picturing myself in the middle of a lake. uh, The world was spinning. I was in pain, and I was sinking. And on top of that. I was surrounded by many people and no one knew the danger that I was in. I was hurting and I was suffering. No one knew this is dangerous. There's there's something happening here. And I think at at some point of our life, we can identify with some part of this scenario. Maybe we've experienced something like this already. Maybe this, maybe whether it's a, a loss of a loved one, maybe you let go from a job major or minor health issues, maybe a broken, significant relationship in your life, maybe a major or minor, uh, a major, maybe a major physical or an emotional pain that you've had that you've been dealing with. Maybe you felt like your world is spinning. Maybe you felt like you're alone, you're sinking. And the, and the worst part of that is you feel alone in it. You feel like no one knows. So what do we do with this? How how does God respond to people that are in need? And I say this a lot in Epic Youth, which is our Wednesdays uh, thing. I say this. I say say, the best way to get a clear picture of God is to take a look at Jesus. And so that's what I want to do right now. I want to take a look at Jesus. Let me begin with prayer. Father, I pray right now that as we open up Scripture your living word that you speak to us. Allow us to see in the moment, wherever we are. Lord, if there's anyone in here that is hurting or in pain or suffering, distant, longing for something more, or maybe even apathetic to your words, I pray that we can encounter you here and now and let these words be a source of life, of living water, a source of healing and hope and comfort. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to start by reading from Mark 5. It says this. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd had gathered around him. And while he was by the lake, there was one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly. He said, "My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live." And Jesus went with him. So Jairus was a ruler of a synagogue, the place where the Jewish uh, uh, people would worship. In that in, in that place, he was a father. He was a ruler. Uh, He would have been well-known and important in the community. He held together by the ritual of religion. He was responsible for looking after the building, supervising worship, running the the school on the weekdays, and finding rabbis to teach on, on the Sabbath. And he was willing to risk it all to come to Jesus because death had crept into his family. It probably felt like his world was spinning. He might have felt like he was sinking and he was in the midst of a crowd. There might might have been lots of pain and anguish, and fear had settled in of his little daughter dying. He had probably exhausted all efforts to heal his daughter, and now he was in need of only what God could do. How often do we see a ruler kneel before someone? How often do we see a president or a CEO of a company or a governor? How often do we see someone with that kind of power kneel before someone? Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Jairus, the synagogue ruler, falls before Jesus' feet, and this makes a significant statement about who Jesus is. We can come to Jesus in need because Jesus is God, God in flesh. In John 1:14 it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. It continues in Mark says this A large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered under the great deal uh, under the care of many doctors and yet spent all she had and yet Instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she'd heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she just thought, if I touch his clothes, I will be healed. This woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, though her condition is uncertain, her blood flow was probably a chronic menstrual disorder, rendering her and those she touched unclean. That would have been like, Not only, it would have been ritually unclean in her community. Essentially, no one could touch her, or else they would have been contaminated themselves. So we can assume that she was physically and socially isolated for 12 years. Maybe even religiously, because she couldn't even participate in the faith activities. I imagine at time, this pain was unbearable. Physically, as well as Emotionally. She had spent all she had on the doctors. Instead of getting better, she grew worse. Eventually, nothing worked. She was incurable. Her world was probably spinning, and she was drowning, sinking. And despite the crowd around her, no one knew how desperate her situation was. Despite everything, her fear, anything that could have held her back, this woman saw Jesus and she reached out she, she went through the crowd because she thought if I just touch his clothes I will be healed breaking all the social norms right of that time if I just get over there if I just grab on and if I just touch his, touch his robe I will be healed I love this part it says this Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she was free from her suffering. You see, doctors can heal, thankfully, and that's wonderful. The way Jesus healed was immediate. This was miraculously beyond what doctors can do. It was immediate. She felt well in an instant. It continues on. Mark 5:30, uh, it says this. At once, we here? You got that? Back there? That's my. Move, go a little bit farther there, Aiden. One more. There you go. Next one. There you go. Good. We're on it. Cool. That's my son, Aiden. He's, he's up there. He's awesome. Uh, at once, Jesus realized the power had gone from him. And he turned around in the crowd and said, "Who touched me?" He realized the power had gone from him. How many of you ever been to like a sporting event? Right? Well, not in 2020, like before that. Like, right? No, how many at a concert or sporting event have you ever tried to leave at the end? Yeah? Yeah, it's all nice and dandy. Everybody's just letting everybody. No, it's like a crowd, of people. Like you're trying to get out and you're like everybody's going through the same door and it's like everyone is touching you, right? That's what the disciples said. They said, you see the crowd around you, the disciples answered, and yet you can say, who touched me? Jesus, everyone is touching you. I don't think he said it in a displeasure, but I think he said it in a tenderness and a concern. He, he turned around in the crowd, who touched me? Who touched me? He's walking around. He's coming back. He's like, who? He knew the power had left him. And it says this. But Jesus kept looking around and see who had done it. And the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Here we see that again. Falling at Jesus' feet. Trembling with fear. And told him the whole truth. We see it again. Falling at Jesus' feet. Maybe she explains how this has affected her in her life. The pain, the anguish that she has gone through the loneliness of her world, or how desolate this diagnosis was, how she spent all her money, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Twelve years of the truth of her pain and suffering. She told Jesus her life story. And here's the thing, Jesus listened. Despite the pressure of the important task that he was engaged with with Jairus, Right, Jairus is so. He's so like, my daughter's dying. Could you imagine? Like, whoa, are you coming back? What are we doing? What what's going on? Like, I thought we were going. Like, Jesus is listening to this woman's story. There's an illustration that goes like this: An elderly lady once went to the post office in her town to buy stamps just before uh, Christmas, and the lines, like any festive occasion, were particularly long. A kind bystander pointed out that there was no need to wait in line because there was a stamp machine in the lobby. She thanked the stranger and she said, yeah, but the machine doesn't ask me about my arthritis. Rather than leaving the miracle impersonal, Jesus sought a conversation. Jesus listened to her story. And his response was this. He said this, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It doesn't say much about where her family was in this. I don't know. Maybe they were there. Maybe they weren't. But could you imagine 12 years of suffering and hearing the sweet words of daughter? Jesus Says, daughter, your faith. And another connection in the story, right? Jairus' daughter, says, daughter, and and her. Your faith is healed. You go go in peace, be freed from your suffering. This woman had an aspiration to live and took action. And she was rewarded by this, by the presence and interaction with Jesus. His acknowledgement in front of the crowd. And this affirmation of her in a public setting shows us the value that he puts on his children, on you and on me. It wasn't her cleverness or her courage that Jesus saw, but it was her faith. If she would have disappeared, she would have just sampled the gift, but not meet the giver. She would have just experienced the healing, but not meet the healer. She came before Jesus in this experience, and that helped her grow and mature in her faith. It continues, it says this, while, some, while Jesus was speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler, your daughter's dead, they said, why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said, why all the commotion and the wailing? The child's not dead, but asleep. They all laughed at him. And he put them out and took the child's father and mother and disciples and who were with them, and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand, and he said, To look this up. You know, it's like when you're in that Bible study and you're like, How do you say that word again? Tala, Tali ta kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was twelve years old. At this, we were completely astonished and gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Despite the men saying, Don't bother Jesus anymore, your daughter is dead, Jesus picks up the father's sinking faith. We can all fall into this danger of being terrified when we see the awful reality of our situation, right? And Jesus tells him, Don't be afraid. Jairus acted out in faith, and in beginning and falling at Jesus' feet in the beginning of this, Did you notice this? Did you notice Jesus, what what Jesus did? Did you notice when he went with them? When faith appears, Jesus follows. Willingly and immediately, he follows. And now Jesus is confronting Jairus in the midst of tragedy of his daughter's death, where Jesus is present. Jesus is present where there is faith in him. And eventually, we go to hear that Jesus healed his daughter. A friend of mine once said, when people are in their greatest need, people like you, people like me, Jesus responds the most, Jesus responds the best. These stories show that Jesus' ability to help is limitless. Our fear is an opportunity for faith and healing. What would it take to embrace those fears that we have in life through Christ's power. Both Jairus and the woman experience fear and faith in Jesus. So the question is, have you put your faith in Jesus? There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, not even death. Death knows us. I took a class with this guy named Dale Bruner. He said this, He says, when this kind of faith comes to the church in the Bible, it gets in touch with Jesus. In the gospel, faith is never a general belief of the existence of God. Instead, it's getting in touch with Jesus by bringing one's major need to Him with the expectation that Jesus can do miracles with it. God's door is open, God is accessible to the hurting and the sick and the weak. We come to him with this expectation that he can do miracles with that. Maybe you can identify your world spinning, sinking, hurting. Maybe you feel, maybe you're struggling with addiction, depression, or anxiety. Maybe uh, there's a major or minor issue that you haven't given to God yet. Maybe it's time to step out into faith. I encourage you to fall down In front of the giver of life, the one who gives living water, the bread of life, Jesus' arms is wide open. I'm gonna close, but I'm gonna bring up the band here. These past weeks, we've been talking about how important it is to live life together. And we've been challenging you to join a small group. There might have been like one or two signs around here that says that. (laughs) We're not designed to do life on our own. As we continue showing up and taking the next step forward, the next foot forward in faith, we're stepping in faith on a journey, and we need people that are on that journey as well to step in that with us. Maybe this is your challenge. I talked about this uh, a couple months ago, but our youth went on this trip to San Diego and we had an opportunity to go to this uh, place where our youth ha- had an opportunity to talk about faith with uh, the people in that community. They were in an elderly uh, elderly community. And so here, when I'm t- talking to my youth and saying, hey, we're gonna go to this uh, retirement community and-, and you guys are gonna just share how your faith, and they're going to share their faith with you, and it's going to be really cool. And, and you can imagine my, what my youth were like, right, when I told them this. They're like, what? We're going to do what? <laughs> it was. I got some pictures right here, right? Are these all of them? No, a couple more. Yeah, so they were able to sit in front and share, I think it was for about an hour, just talking about their experience, their experience in life, together. Here's the thing. It was pretty awkward at first. It was kind of like, ooh, this is kind of awkward, kind of weird. But it was beautiful at the end. It was amazing. And here's, here's, here's why I'm telling you that. Because maybe when we're saying, hey, join a small group, walk in faith with other people, you might go, that sounds pretty awkward to me. <laughs> I don't know about that. There's a lot of things that I have to kind of figure out and do, and maybe some, some certain, like, uh, here's the thing. It might be that way. It might be awkward. It might be weird. It might be, oh, we have to get, guess what? It's going to be beautiful at the end. It really will. Because here you are working together, sharing life together, breaking bread together. I don't like, Joining together as you are growing deeper in your own walk and encouraging others to reach out after Jesus, right? We can't do this on our own. Will you let Jesus in? Take the step to make him Lord and live a life of faith and freedom. Again, God's door is open. And for this woman who was bleeding and Jairus, they had to step out of their comfort zone and put Jesus as the focus of their vision. Their world was spinning. They were hurting and in pain lonely and desperate and with faith they fell in front of Jesus with their needs with the expectation that Jesus could do miracles with them let me pray Father maybe it's physically or maybe it's just mentally falling in front of you with what we have where we're at it might be major, it might be minor, whatever. Lord, that, that we are taking the things, that, the deep things that we have not released yet to you. And out of faith, Lord, letting you do beautiful things with that. Lord, there's a fear that sets in. We don't want to. It might be awkward, it might be weird. But Lord, I pray right now, Lord, as we together continue to reach out towards you, not stay stuck in the middle of the lake, but Lord, to reach out to you in the midst of the pain, the hurt, the suffering, but Lord, to see you, to make you our vision, to make you the thing that we need to see. I pray this.